This episode of the Book of Very, Very Bad Things podcast has been brought to you by our sponsors at Sweet Cheetah Publicity. Sweet Cheetah is a PR collective that values people over profit. They put a different spin on public relations by working primarily with friends and using all profits to aid charitable organizations. With a roster that includes Jawbox, The New Amsterdam's, Brainiac, Get Some, Funeral Date, Damien Dunn, and many more artists, record labels, and podcasts. Sweet Cheetah. That's a great PR cohort. You can find them on social media by simply searching Sweet Cheetah PR, and they'll be there. He's been Tim. I've been Peter. And Sweet Cheetah has been beautiful. It's been a long time. It's been over a year. And Has it really? Yeah. <clears throat> and It feels so, like a month ago. <laughs> I, I know it does, but so much has happened for you in that year. Like, I, I don't even know how we would start. <laughs> I, I have to say, though, since you've been on last, I've been glued to enough. I think Thank what you, you do is so important and prescient and you know, to me it, it makes a lot of sense that someone would be like granting that platform in our punk rock space and i know there's some fanzines that have done it in the past but mm-hmm. i don't think anyone has really brought it to the fore in such uh such a big way uh first i'd like to ask you know how did um how do you get people to actually come on? Is, is there like a, a, a lot of people waiting to talk to you at this point? Well, it's, it's um just like so many things with the podcast. It's like a positive that has like a negative attached to it. <laughs> Cause right. we're always like, that was a really great episode, but you're like, great. Cause we're discussing everyone's trauma and like the worst thing that's ever happened to them. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the same with the guests. Like we have been very lucky knocking on all the wood um, where we haven't really struggled too much with getting people on um, before the podcast ever started. Um, I, my co-host Rich and I had talked about this. Um, I knew him through, a now ex-boyfriend who is actually the podcast editor. So it's the three of us. Um, <laughs> the two of them are best friends. That's how I met Rich. And he and I, uh, he was up in Minneapolis at the time and we would talk about this and talk about how like we were kind of like beacons for people where we would just, people people we know kind of casually acquaintances at festivals or just people online that, you know, Facebook, Instagram would come to us, would start talking about something and then eventually would turn into the fact that they're like, hey, so this person assaulted me. And it wasn't instantaneous. It wasn't, you know, within 20 minutes of a conversation, but you develop a rapport with someone, even if you don't know them very well. And there's like a social media kind of screen blockade. Um, So he and I were always those people for other people. And so since the podcast started, which was, I think now about two years ago, I'm pretty sure, uh, two and a half at this point, um, we kind of had like a laundry list of people who we knew. Um, and not all of those people have made it on as guests. A lot of them don't want to talk about this publicly. Um, some of them did. And then the more episodes we put out, the more people started to reach out to us through email, through our Instagram, um, and say, I have a story too. I, I would like to talk about my story, or I would like to talk about what it's like and what the process is. Cause again, not everyone wants to go through we've we've had more pre-interviews which we do before pretty much every interview um than we have actual interviews there are a a whole laundry list of 
you know, notes that I took and discarded of people's stories that never made it onto the actual podcast. I would imagine. And it, it would seem to me that, uh, being that sort of person, uh, I'm the same way. For some reason, people love to open up to me. For I, I couldn't tell you why. I feel like it's a pheromone or something. Like it's something oh, we have that people just like pick up on. Because I was like, I don't even really know you that well, but I'm happy to talk to you. But like, hello, stranger. Now I know all this about your life. Okay. <laughs> I was years ago um, when I was getting clean. Uh, I had a very poor. <laughs> poor therapist, uh, a recovery therapist mm -hmm. who told me that uh, I had mentioned to him in passing, oh yeah, you know, for some reason people love to open up to me. He said, oh, that's a weakness in you that they sense. BS. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was my last session with that particular that gentleman, would, yeah. by the way. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> I, I would disagree. I would, I would actually read that as someone sensing a strength in you and, uh, and an openness. That and they safety could, and safety that they could come to you and and not be judged and be heard and not you know having you not interject yourself or 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 you know presuppose yourself into their situation like oh yeah that happened to me too and here's what happened blah 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 i'm also 100 percent that person though so like as soon as someone says something to me i'm like okay here's my version but it's my way of trying to say like hey we have common ground right person i barely know Right, sure, but I mean, even that, like, if done in the proper way, right, it doesn't seem intrusive or right. one sort of like a one-upsmanship. And I, I think you would have to come from a similar place in order for people to feel comfortable enough to open up. Have you found yourself within the context of of these pre-interviews, anyway? Uh, uh, you know building that reciprocity by by sharing some of yourself with these folks i think so it, it kind of depends on the person um you know we've had we're at the end of this month we'll be at 50 episodes which is awesome but also mind-blowing because yeah. <laughs> it seems like we just do in, in a way it's like we do the same one episode over and over again because it has the same structure but it's very different because the guest is the um kind of wild card in that our normal cocktail of what we do right. um but i think you know it, it's just like any conversation with any person there are some guests that like i kind of vibe with a little bit better there's some that rich vibes with a little bit better there's some that um you know both of us get along with really well um there's not really anyone we've had on that we don't get along with obviously but um but yes i think that in the majority of those pre-interviews, um, there's some, uh, the kind of the reason that we do them is to get people comfortable with us if they don't already know us and to feel like they can info dump as much of their story as they want to. We don't have to talk about it on the actual podcast, but sometimes the lack of chronology of when you're talking about trauma, you know, if, if I'm writing down some notes for you and then I present it to you in kind of in an outline that puts the things you talked about in a more sequential order, it might help as a guest to kind of see that and then feel more comfortable moving forward because otherwise you're explaining rapid fire thoughts and actions of how they've kind of settled within that part of your brain, the, the traumatic holding part of your brain. Um, so I think the entirety of the pre-interview in the way that we do it is hopefully set up in a way where they do feel comfortable with us. We do kind of 
for the strangers, the ones that we don't already know that Rich isn't aware of, that I'm not friends with already, um, we do kind of try to come to some sort of common ground. And I do find myself much more so than my co-host interjecting my own personal, like, actually, that was like my favorite band in high school, kind of BS in there too, just to make people feel like, hey, we're on the same page. Like, there's something about us that, you know, it's we may be strangers between screens, but we have music as the commonality. Yeah. And the... the Probably the, the the worst part of this for you, outside of having to dredge up your own trauma and and empathizing with other people's trauma, you're taking that on. That has to be taxing at the very least. But you're also <clears throat> you're uh, although names are not mentioned of the bands on the show, uh, uh, we're you're blowing up some some people that like you know we we probably respected and enjoyed their music and um you know that shouldn't be a task that that should be very the very simple part of it but i would think some backlash occurs from their fandom or has some is a kind word (laughs) really (laughs) there's been um we've had two uh, out of all the episodes we've done there are two that are kind of um the ones and it was our very first episode and uh, an episode that aired this year in July. Um, they had the opportunity to be to have the same footprint, but the fan base and people's the the people's kind of public opinion changed the outcome of one versus the other. So the one that happened in July was very much, yes, we believe her fuck this band, we're done, how dare you, fuck off. Yeah. Um, and quote unquote, luckily, again, one of those positive negative situations, um, the band you know, removed themselves from social media almost instantaneously. Everything fell into a place in a way that made the survivor seem more believable, which is a terrible thing to say, but when you're dealing with the, the, you know, the court of public opinion, you're yeah. gonna, and especially when you have fans. And I, I feel like every, niche of the arts has fans obviously but there's just something about punk music and hardcore music where and it's so hokey to say this but it's not just a hobby it really is a way of life the guy from return of the living dead was right this isn't just a costume (laughs) so it's it's so much more it's like you're offending someone's family because you know these Lyrics mean everything. They've taken people out of dark places. Sharing a beer with a band member, you know, has picked you up out of the dirt before. And so when you find out that these people are human and they fuck up just like everyone else and they fucked up really bad. um, And if this was, you know, I don't know, John Mayer or someone else, you'd be like, hey, fuck John Mayer. But like, because it's the lead singer of XYZ band, you were on Reddit viciously fighting for them and making sure you wear your band t-shirts out to every festival so everyone knows you still support them or whatever. Um, but it's it's very, you know, I, I I think it's probably similar to what some of the, the Hollywood actor fans are seeing, you know, where people like Johnny Depp, great example. You know, diehard Johnny Depp fans, they love him because he's a weirdo. He's always been a weirdo. He's played all the weirdo parts. He's the best. He would never, except we have evidence that he did. Yeah. There's plenty of evidence between both the U.S. and the U.K. trials that he did. She also fucked up. There's some, there's some fuckery there, but like, 
is this a good person? What is your definition of good? I would probably say no. No. Would you want your daughter spending time with him? No. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's, you know, that's kind of the thing. And and there's a very, it, it also depends on kind of what sect of the punk scene uh, we're dealing with as well. It's not always punk music either. I mean, sometimes we're just talking about, you know, like an indie band or whatever, yeah. uh, which is a little bit more foreign to me. So I don't really know the feel of their fan base the same way. Uh, sometimes it's really small local bands. I, you know, a person that who came to us in our in our, our DMs or our email, and um, Rich and I sat down. We had a conversation with them. We know, you know, they're friends with this up and coming band. We're kind of aware of. Like, it's not always heavy hitters, but it's important to get their story out, no matter what it is. And you're always going to have the fans that are like, "I refuse to believe because they saved my life," which right. is always slippery. But what what fascinates me is uh the the two heavy hitters in question i i'd known immediately who they were talking about i uh, think everyone did <laughs> and i think everyone else did too but the first one uh crickets yeah and that made me sick uh i sold all of my records thereafter uh but then the one that everyone knew who and what you were talking about and 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 it was i remember i i listened to it and the next day it's in spin magazine yeah it, it's it, it, it's in rolling stone i'm like oh damn like this is now it's talk about vindication i mean yeah it, it's it was weird because rich again he lives up in minneapolis i'm down in chicago so we have only seen each other in the past few years like once or twice in person since the podcast started um and not just because of covid just because of distance but he happened to be in chicago um i think it was thursday the day we we air on wednesdays usually and so i think it was either thursday or friday i know it was the next day i had off so i'm thinking it was a friday but uh he and was meeting up with a friend um they were here for i believe it was a wedding um and I met up with him in a neighborhood near mine and we all kind of went out and they were drinking and I was enjoying my non-alcoholic drinks. And uh, we were at a, a dive bar that I absolutely love that races turtles on Friday. So it must have been Thursday because the turtle races were not going on. Um, so we were at this this little corner Chicago dive bar, one of you know my favorite haunts, turtle racing, uh, just playing darts because it was a non-turtle night. And... <laughs> the next thing i know um rich and his friends phones go off and they have like alerts set for things i have too much anxiety to have an alert i have no notifications if you text me i may answer i don't know i have to get to it in my time like i'm highly caffeinated and i have a lot going on so i'm sorry <laughs> um so their phones start going off and rich who's been drinking for the evening and his friend who was also drinking start showing each other their phones and then rich turns to me and he goes we're in us weekly and like the two of us are just like hugging not because we're in it but because the survivor's story has now made it and us weekly is like you know gossip rag but like that was right around the time with us weekly and it was um revolver and spin like you said it was just 
like after that moment, it was back to back to back and they all started publishing. And so we had like this 30 minutes in the turtle bar where we're just like having a breakdown, trying to play darts. And I'm like hopped up on Red Bull and he's like a little bit drunk on too many beers. And we're just like, what's even happening? Oh my God. They keep spelling the name of the, or stylizing the name of the podcast wrong, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> we're happy to be involved in any way. Now, does, does this uh, amount to... Uh, uh, like a, an uptick in reader or listenership. Oh uh, Jesus, yes. <laughs> I, I, I would only, I would only imagine. Now, what does that spell for you then? Um, with this bright light shown upon enough, um, marquee band uh, shown the singer shown for who he is because of your show. Uh, what does that do for you guys uh, as far as like um, optics? As far as uh, you know, does the show have more sponsors now? How, how does that all come to pass? Um, so we have only been doing like the, the basic ass paid advertising. So we got, it went from, so at the time that the podcast was released into the world, which was 6 a.m., I believe central time um, on Wednesday, to the point where the band disabled their social media same day, but probably around 3 p.m. Central Time. We only had between YouTube and Spotify or our podcast platforms, we only had about 100 to 120 listens. It was them disbanding that brought everyone to the podcast. And then it just kept going because it kept gaining more and more momentum. And so we ended up with like 55,000 and then 150,000. And just people streaming like crazy. And then we were the number one podcast in music for a while. And that scared the shit out of me. So I disabled my Facebook, which has been disabled since July. Um, and, and luckily, we haven't really had too many, like, douchey DMs or anything on Instagram. Not that the guys have shown me anyway, because, again, they know my anxiety. We've had one where the guy was just an absolute, like, turd. Um, but other than that, it was, it was pretty supportive. And um, the thing that I really always just kind of roll my eyes at and we got kind of lumped in with this at this time was the um they're just doing this to make money kind of bs and so we that turdy guy that i mentioned he brought that up in his message and we got a little bit of that back on us and i was like we are making nothing we are on spotify is 0.0003 or what the hell ever like we made like almost no money off of it and we used all of that to get ourselves an LLC in case anyone tries to sue us. Like right. we, we don't have a cash. We're not like, I mean, I live in a modest one bedroom in Chicago. I'm still here. It's not changing. Like, <laughs> we're not rolling in punk money. Sorry. <laughs> As if that existed. Punk right. <laughs> but <clears throat> the, the money is whatever. Yeah. It's, it's the fact that you're now proselytizing to a much larger gathering of humans uh, you're saving more people, uh, uh, the pain of having to, you know, not have a voice anyway, they may not be showing up on the show. They may not be, uh, speaking their truth publicly, mm -hmm. but the fact that there's a forum out there that exists, uh, for people who suffered at the hands of, of musicians or of anyone else for that matter, right. uh, that's a comfort. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking from experience, you know, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a survivor and, yeah this is like, you know, this is a big fucking deal. You know? Well, I think from what we've noticed with certain episodes is we get a lot of attention funneled at that episode. 
And then the one that comes out after has a higher reach than normal. And then by the third one after, it's kind of going back down again. So it's the same as kind of any, you know, YouTube clickbaity news article. Like you got to keep the big names coming, but like we're not really doing that. So it's it's out there more, but it's not like all of a sudden we have this tacked on multi-thousand, you know, numeric following anymore. Um, it kind of ups, you know, ebbs and flows with the episodes. But as you stated, um, it did bring the podcast to a number of people. And especially with the July episode, we had so many emails come in when people figured out who it was from other women who had been assaulted by the same person. We had over 40 come in talking about either they had been assaulted or they were in the industry and watched him assault people at or after shows. Um, so we spent the probably two weeks or so after, and probably more, honestly, after the podcast came out, just trying to respond and filter and see, like, you know, how are we going to handle this? Like, we can't just keep doing episodes hammering the shit out of this one dude. Like, yeah. you know, but like, we need these people want to talk. So how do we handle this? And ultimately, um, the survivor in that episode from this last July, um, is absolutely phenomenal. Her name's Christina, and she is a trained social worker. She calls it a reform, or I think a recovering social work is how she re refers to it. And she does um, other types of um, therapy for people. What she ultimately ended up doing was forming something called the Punk Rock Therapist, where she and a number of other women um, in the music scene have come together and are offering therapy for people who not just are victims of this person, but just who need someone to talk to in general. Um, in addition to that, she, with a little bit of our help, but really not that much, um, kind of whipped together this group of survivors that had all been assaulted. And this is international. There are people in um, Scotland, there's someone in France, there's someone in, there's at least two people in Australia, and there's a shit ton in the US. Um, and she was able to kind of bring them all together and they form this kind of survivor web network where they're all talking to each other. You see them as friends around the internet. They're like liking each other's posts on Instagram. They're supporting each other. They're sharing each other's stories. And um, ultimately, because of all of that, an article came out in both online and then in print in Rolling Stone that had a number of the survivors, including Christina, talking about their personal experiences with this person that date back to like 1995, I think. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, and, and here's the thing too, uh, they're from the, another side of the state, uh, yeah. but still like they're a Pennsylvania yeah. band. They're like a part of our nationalist right. kind of like zeitgeist uh, and what they had claimed to stand for is the part that I find most glaringly yeah. disgusting because they have feminist songs. There's, yeah. There's supposed to be like a, a pro feminist wolf in sheep's clothing kind of situation. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and it, what it really makes me ponder is how did the rest of the band not know they about did. this? Most, if, there's a number of survivors who reached out to us, who told us that these people saw the band member saw the tour manager saw the crew saw like, there's no way that when this person brings two underage girls or vastly different age, I guess, you know, if you're in your forties and you're traveling around with some 18 year olds, like, you know, uh, okay. I, legal by definition. 
but I don't know what the fuck you have in common. I don't have anything in common with like a 25 year old and I'm 37. I don't know what the fuck I would have in common with a, with an 18 year old or anyone younger. (laughs) Um, but when they, you know, hop onto the van to grab two bottles of wine to take them off to a hotel room, like who sees that? Who's on the van? Like who, who's in the, who's in the bus right now? They know there's no way that they don't know. And making these comments, they made some public statements stating, you know, we had no idea. We have a number of people that said they definitely do. And I would, I've been in bands and, and I don't care how big the tour bus is. You know, what's going on with the other people in the band. If, if it's a one-off. Okay. But if I have, let's say there were 40 messages, 30 of them were from people who were assaulted 30 times. You caught 10 of those, you know, you caught five of those, you know. If everyone else is sleeping on the giant tour bus and you're getting a hotel room and you stick around afterwards to come down off the stage and hit on girls, you know, yeah, like there's no way you don't stop lying. And how do you, how do you stay in the same orbit as a human being like that? I don't care how successful the machine is. I, I know in my heart of hearts that I couldn't possibly deal with something like that. I mean, I am a father, so there's that side of me, but still. Even before I had kids, uh, I, I would throw fists. That's part of my upbringing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I will just swing on a person who does things right. like that. It's the fact that they stayed in, in a band with him and, and you know, kept it quiet. They're, they're complicit. Yeah. They're, a, they're as guilty. <clears throat> I agree. So, so to save face, they, they distance themselves from said vocalist and you know shut down social media make mm-hmm. it look like we're just fading off into the distance you know they're going to try and come back as a different band uh, either with someone else in, in his spot or something you yeah. know that you know they're there will be there. people who will support them solely based on the fact that they were in this band x members I mean, kind of how it works unfortunately um it, this is not like the neurosis situation where <laughs> no. you, you know what i mean where like the yeah. the rest of the guys in neurosis knew and put it to a, just halted the band and kept it quiet yeah because the singer's wife asked them to keep right. it quiet that's a different scenario right well we had there was some of the survivors calling out the band members as of a year to two years ago on instagram saying things tagging them there's, there's proof there's screenshots saying like you know, maybe t- like, I don't remember what it was. I think it was an Amnesty International post. And one of the survivors tagged one of the band members and was like, why don't you take a look at your vocalist if you're so concerned about this? Yeah. Like there's, this was not a situation. It's kind of like, um, you know, I feel like so many of these situations are when you have someone who, a singer or, you know, someone who has a, like most band members do or most creatives do just a, you know, exuberant, front person kind of personality it reminds me a lot of like a harvey weinstein situation where that person's making a lot of people some money whether we're talking about punk or we're talking about like capital records i mean a lot for whatever you're doing i mean punk is like a lot in a small scope and then you're talking about like you know capital in a large scope but if you're talking about like you know these people and their success feeds themselves feeds monetarily feeds their ego feeds the label feeds the tour people the crew you know there's there's a number of people that are tied onto this band succeeding 
in whatever way they're looking to succeed. It's the same thing with a lot of what we've seen in Hollywood with the movies, you know, and every, it was, you know, Kevin Spacey, great example. Everyone knew their shows like uh, Difficult People used to make comments about Kevin Spacey hitting on kids, boys, young boys. And this was way before any of this came out. And then you look back and you're like, shit, they were trying to tell us this the entire time. But some people don't tell you. Some people just keep moving forward knowing it's this kind of weird whisper network secret where you just don't ever go one-on-one -on -one with this person and you'll stay safe. But we shouldn't have to have that in any aspect of our lives, no matter if it's music or art, you know, or movies or just work, anything. I mean, there should be no, I'm not safe if I'm alone with ever, yeah. ever. And I think the most disheartening part of all of it for me is I have been this champion for hardcore and punk my whole life. Like, right? we don't have groupies. That doesn't happen here. This It fucking happens here. And, and it happens to the point that I could probably rattle off 15 very successful bands that are complete that they have at least one ass hat in the band and the fact that that ass hat was in the band with these other guys and they knew about it rendered them ass hats. So right. you have to like face everything with a, a, a grain of salt. Now, like your fan, my fandom is tempered by the misdeeds of others at this point, because my, you know, my favorite band is neurosis that they're, they're, even though the rest of the guys in the band are great dudes, it's sullied to me now right and and this particular band completely like i i sold all my records i'm done with them whatever but now uh if i start to find myself taking a shine to another band i there's that part of me that wonders like okay what am I dealing with here? All I do is listen to podcasts now. I don't even listen to music anymore. <laughs> like there's like three bands that I know and that everything else is just like safe. And then there's music, which is like, doesn't feel safe anymore the same way it used to. Cause I'm like, what am I stepping into? Do, what, do, what research do I have to do to find out if I can buy your band t-shirt without having to throw it in the trash eight months from now? Right. Right. <laughs> and, and the thing is like, I, there have been, and I'm not going to mention names, but there have been artists on this show that i've i came to find later on and it hasn't come out in public yet but i know i know they've been up to some shit. yeah and how do i find out because people who are listeners yeah to the podcast yeah contact me and let me know hey listen such and such who was on your show a year and a half two years ago who you seem to be buddy buddy with here's what they're really up to mm -hmm. and it's like fuck, what do i got what am i gonna do do i delete the episode and, and act like I was never involved. I think that would be disingenuous, but it puts you in a, a situation where you, you lose faith in, in even wanting to be a part of a scene anymore. Uh, and that's the part that kind of tears at me. Um, but I think what's worse is the fact that you have to march into combat emotionally every single time you do an episode of this podcast how do you like <laughs> how do you slough it off when all said and done every episode you just how do you clear the slate and find your chi again well so in the first season rich and i were only doing interviews and uh as i mentioned before we do a pre-interview usually with the guest um and then I take notes, I create kind of an outline, which again is like not very, you know, 
tell us how you got into music. What's your name? Okay, tell us your story. Like, it's not super intensive. It just kind of tries to keep on track what may be out of chronological order because of trauma. Um, and then after we record the actual episode, um, we'll say goodbye to the guest. And then Rich and I will sit on Zoom and we'll talk from anywhere between like 20 minutes to two hours, depending on what we need. Sometimes we talk about the episode and be like, shit, I can't believe like that. You know, we knew the story from two weeks ago's pre-interview, but man, did that come out like way heavy when they discussed it all over again with us. Um, or sometimes we'll just talk about like, you know, how's your kid? How's your life? How's work? You know, just to kind of almost reset. And yeah. then at that point, when the computer, when the laptop gets, you know, shut down, then in my head, I'm like, okay, it's time for me to like, just kind of compartmentalize what that is. Um, in addition to that, I actually started going to grad school this year for social work. And so one of the things they teach you in your first semester is how to embark in self-care and not get compassion fatigue because as a social worker, um, depending on what sect, I mean, really any of the sects of social work that you go into is a lot of dealing with people, people who are getting screwed by the system, people who have a lot to talk about, and you may not be able to help them because you might not have the expandable resources that are required to give them exactly what they need. So a lot of it's problem solving and trying to figure out how can I get them as close to where they need to be as possible with almost no resources. Um, so they teach you in the first semester, apparently, a lot about like how to take care of yourself and how not to do basically what Rich and I did for the first year of the podcast, which is just interview and like burn out and freak out and have a lot of like panic and anxiety. Um, and I had mentioned the first year versus other years. Um, the reason I brought that up was because what we started to do was um, we wanted to generate more than one episode a month. Um, and some people were really excited about the podcast, but said like, I, I can't listen to this. This is too much to sit and listen to someone's complete, you know, traumatic reliving of an event, um, or it's triggering me in what's going on. I don't know what your episode's going to be about. Um, you know, I, can I get a transcription? And we were trying to figure out what to do to kind of feed the audience what they want slash could tolerate to make sure that it's as expansive to everyone as possible. So we started doing what we call subtext, which is like a 10 to 15 minute short episode. Um, they started off as kind of like, let's talk about consent. Let's define some of the words that we talk about or like, you know, why is the patriarchy bad? Uh, just kind of beginner stuff. And then um, one of the things that we found to be just so prevalent was all of the famous artists and um now we also kind of moved into actors a little bit in hollywood that have been going to trial and getting outed and um you know most trials get dismissed but not you danny masterson um yeah. <laughs> but those type of things and so we've been talking about those more and more um and kind of le leaning into the legal aspect of some of this because there's so little retribution for the survivors and i'm not talking about retribution like you know burn them at the stake kind of shit it's more like i want an apology or i want you to acknowledge what you've done to me um that whenever we can talk about someone kind of having to face the repercussions of their actions that's what we started to kind of try to do with subtext to show like little victories little wins or how these things are working their way through the system and that there's hope at the end of the tunnel or light rather <laughs> yeah. and and even like on top of the 
the subtext episodes. Like you, you got into things like with Lizzo, which I found completely compelling because I, I, I hadn't known. My ears are not attenuated. You didn't know about Lizzo? I didn't know about Lizzo. <laughs> so the only thing I'd known about her was she was, you know, a musician and she was in a, a movie with JLo that I, I watched peripherally with my wife. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I guess it can translate uh, into the feminine as well to be predatory, obviously. But my experience is most predatory human beings have been male. Uh, that's my own bigotry, though because that's the the um standard is not the right word um but but the statistic there we go that is yeah. the, unfortunately the statistic that it is mostly male not 100 percent of the time um but predominantly yes yeah and and you know it was i, I don't want to say refreshing because nothing about it is refreshing but it it's was Positive negatives. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But it, it, it was kind of like a, a point of, uh, you know, it was it was something to earmark for future listening. You know, like, well, wait, now now Lizzo really is is kind of a, a shit. I, I I didn't see that coming because everyone championed her for being body positive and and hey, right. that's great. But she was taking it to some scary, sketchy places and hanging with some unsavory characters on top of it all too uh I, it, the entertainment industry is fucked i don't know where to turn i don't know who to like well i think <laughs> you know the the main thing that it was because we learned stuff from the podcast too i mean we're very different people rich and i than we were back when we started in july of i think it was 2021 um so i mean we, we've learned a lot ourselves um from the guests, from just our own conversations, from reading, from, you know, experiencing. Um, but I think the one thing that has always stuck out to me is, like, everyone fucks up. There's, you know, I, I don't, I could never be a famous person because I would be crying all the time because people would be watching everything I do with a microscope and I would be like ugly in every paparazzi shot. Um, like if you see me walking around at like 7 a.m., it is not any of this and it would be so hideous and scary for me and everyone else. Um, so I feel like, you know, when you have that, not just, you know, actors or Hollywood, we have that if you're platforming yourself in any way. And this podcast has platformed me and my co-host and working at the website that I run also has platformed me, you know, years ago. So there's different versions of how high that platform goes. But when you put yourself out there, you're in the public eye in a different way than if you just kind of existed quietly, you know, in your everyday. Um, because of that, people watch what you do and you're a human and you're going to fuck up. And the one thing I think that, you know, Rich and I have talked about this before is that the world is changing, not just technologically so very quickly, but just with what we expect of other humans and what we demand living in close quarters with people in major cities or going to shows where you're slammed up against someone. Um, and not everyone is picking up on what the new rules are. And so we are at a time right now where I think we're seeing a lot of this. It's the same with you know the Me Too movement that gained so much uh, in 2018 and 19. 
you're seeing old Hollywood kind of fade away into the demands of something new. I think that's happening on a world basis, definitely a national basis, and 100% on a music basis. It's We've been waiting a very long time to kind of get everyone up to the same speed because I'm tired of getting my ass grabbed when I try to crowd surf. Like, right. you know, and I think that, again, in hindsight, I can name a million things that I've done wrong. And Rich and I both have done a number of things that today we are absolutely horrified that we did when we were 18, 22, whatever the hell it was. Um, but the difference in all of this is that, you know, you need to, what most of the survivors are asking for, what I think a lot of people would want to see is just accountability. Be like, yeah, I fucked up. I didn't know what consent was when I was 22 years old. So like, if they say, you know, if you're inebriated and you have sex, that's not consensual. We want to count how many times I actually had consensual sex in my 20s. My God, like yeah. one hand, maybe. Right. I mean, it just it's a different world. And so you have to understand that the standards are changing and people are getting outed to it, it's not. I don't think that people are trying to cancel anyone as much as they're saying, hey, you did this. Take accountability for your actions. Yeah. Change what you're doing. Move forward and learn to live around people a little bit safer. And I think that's what we're hearing a lot from the survivors that come on the podcast is they're not out for cancel culture retribution or burning someone at the stake in a witch hunt. They just want someone to be like, yo, I fucked up and I've been working on myself or I'm going to go work on myself. And until I do that, I'm going to step away from everything to make sure everyone else stays safe. But most people won't do that. Instead, we've gotten the same kind of boilerplate. I make a joke on like every podcast episode, I swear, about the like Mad Libs apology that you see on Facebook that's like yeah. done on the notes app that's like sent over to your Instagram and then also shared on Facebook where it's like, I'm so sorry uh, for my actions. I had no idea I was hurting people or that, or I had no idea that you would be hurt by what I was doing. It's this kind of push off. Yeah. And, you know, it, it never really does what I think it's supposed to do. It's kind of like the, look, I made an effort, wink kind of mm -hmm. aspect. Um, and it leaves the survivor and I think the community wanting a lot more because it's it's empty. And from someone who, if we're talking music, uh, emotes through, uh, you know, lyrics or, you know, notes, when you give something fake, the fans are hopefully going to be able to see it's that. Unfortunately, we have some people in the comments like, love you, bro, fan forever, fuck that bitch. But like, we're always going to get that. Yeah, but <laughs> even if, and you know, I do believe that, you know, these survivors, they're not, they're not, they're, they don't want to burn anybody at the stake. I know that. But in my opinion, there has to be a tipping point where the apology uh, uh, or the, the, you know, intention to change isn't enough. Right. And, 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 you know, I'm a, I'm a very vengeful person. So I have, <laughs> I have my own ideas about justice, but, you know, I could see if someone's acting like the way maybe uh, a lot of uh, young men did in their twenties where, you know, you, you're not out and forcing yourself on people, but you're having a lot of, partners and 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 trying to be that uh, alpha male conquistador uh you know a, a lot of guys go through that uh i certainly indulged 
and and behavior like that. I was a, I was a narcotics addict, and that's not an excuse. Right. Uh, it was it was uh, a frail, uh, depressed ego, right. and and that's all that comes from. So w- once I figured myself out, I didn't really feel the need to act like that anymore. But that behavior it sucks. It's shitty behavior. <laughs> but then there's beyond the pale, where you know it becomes forcing yourself upon people grooming uh and then moving into things uh with underage individuals an apology in my opinion i don't think that's gonna be enough it's not just an apology it's changed behavior right but changing and and my sticking point is this and i I only mention this as as a conversation piece really yeah but i feel like if you're uh, a chronic victimizer, that's not going away. Right. Um, if you're someone who, you know, suffered from abuse yourself and you're out and, and you're being overly sexualized because you were sexualized as a child right. or you're young, a uh, young guy who's got more testosterone than brain cells, <laughs> you're going to want to dry hump everything within a 15 mile radius. Are you a, a, a creep? Yeah. Are you dangerous? Probably not. Uh, there's a to me. There's a vast difference, and, and and you can change one of those two people. I think the other is just uh, you're either actively victimizing or you're not actively victimizing. I think putting people in a space like what we're brewing now in society, where it's just not acceptable anymore to act like that that's a big step in keeping those people dry right but they're always going to be looking for an angle and that freaks me out <laughs> well, i i think that's correct it's always going to be hard to come in as an outsider and distinguish is this person you know a 20 year old lothario drunk dude who just wants to you know bang everything in sight yeah or is there something you know more malicious brewing um, so many of, I mean, the, the amount of people who have faced assault, sexual assault by the time they hit, I, I think it's like early twenties or late teens. It's, it's so high and hurt people, hurt people for lack of, you know, to, to pull on a very trite expression. Yeah. Um, but it, that behavior, especially the, the younger you receive that the more it's going to show up in your kind of everyday life. And you have to actively work to remove that as a mechanism of action. Um, One of the things I think that is kind of in tandem getting us hopefully as a community and a nation to where we need to be is that um, people are now talking about mental health in a way that they never did before. Mental health was a secret. Mental health was not a thing. You didn't talk about going to a therapist. So then you have people championing going to therapy and just because, you know, I, I don't have any technical clinical mental disorders, but I see a therapist once a week and we talk about all types of shit. I got a lot of anxiety, but like not enough for the DSM five to like call me out on it. Um, so uh, it's it's it helps. Like it would be like, why would you you know don't go to the gym, or you know when you hit later in life and when you're younger you have a better metabolism, but as you get older and you're just sitting at a desk all day long, you know you got to get some exercise. And it's kind of like the same thing. I don't really see it too differently. And I think that the world is 
you know, especially the younger generations are talking more openly about their mental health, uh, about making sure, you know, checking in on each other in ways that my generation never did and generations older than mine never did. Um, and so we're all kind of playing catch up for some of these younger generations. But I think that, um, you know, bringing the mental health to the forefront and working through those traumatic issues instead of stuffing them down until there's no room left inside of you to stuff down more trauma and then have it barf back up when you're drunk onto another person and be like, hey, here's all the shit someone did to me. Now I'm going to do it to you because I don't know what else to do. Instead of that, let's have it happen because trauma is going to happen no matter what, you know, try to keep it from, but, you know, it's just going to happen. Then deal with it. Learn how to deal with it as it happens, soon after it happens. So it's not sitting in, inside festering and basically poisoning parts of your body for you to take on the same actions and, you know, kind of, I don't know, like regurgitate them onto someone else, like I said, and then hurt them. And then it just have this kind of consistent cycle of abuse going through, you know, all, all of these people, uh, you know, in all these different manners, uh, because it is, it's like a virus at that point. I mean, it's like, it's like a zombie virus where it just keeps hopping from person to person and more and more people are experiencing it. And if you're not putting a stop to it at some point in that line, it's going to eventually be everyone, right? Like, yeah. so I think that, um, you know, consent, learning consent is something that I was never taught, but younger generations are. I was talking, I was walking the other day, um, right by this little school by my house and, um, middle of the day. And there were kids, which I'm not great at kids or ages, but young, like yeah. maybe five or under. And there was one kid who, um, comically kept saying no means no, but he was saying it like at the wrong times. Like someone was trying to like cut in front of him on the slide and he was like, no means no. And then like <laughs> someone tried to like steal something, a ball from him. And he was like, no means no. But like, they're being taught that. I was never taught that. They must be having a conversation about what this means. And I don't like when you touch me or here's what this means. I said, no, you know, we didn't have that in, in generations. And I think that it's like a, like a, try prong attempt to kind of get people you know out of the cycle that we're in which is you know teaching them about these things at a younger age helping them deal with trauma and bringing mental health to the forefront and then you can kind of see once all of those things settle who's the 20 year old who's drunk and who's the creepy bastard in the corner that's like sussing out some you know for some drama like yeah. you know you'll have a, it, the divide will be easier to assess at that point I agree. I agree. And I, I can speak to, uh, the four-year-olds and five-year-olds and, and their, uh, you know, sense of propriety over their own bodies, because just the difference between my children who are 18 years apart. Yeah. Um, my daughter, she was given some sense of propriety over her body, but like, it wasn't really de rigueur to be as rigorous with it as we are now with my son. Uh, we go to the doctor, the doctor's office says, okay, we're going to touch you here. It's, it's because we have to check you out. Uh, this is your space. Is it okay? Is this okay? And it's something that we've done around the house with him uh, previous to that. That's, I think, where we kind of need to be yeah. in order to, you know, foster a, a, a really positive environment for especially a young a young man to come into the world because they're the statistically the uh the offenders right and and you know it's even it's even more important i think for young women because 
your generation, my generation, which is 10 years before yours, uh, women were subjected to just the most demeaning shit. Like even in the punk scene back then, yeah. I, I, I vividly remember like being in the pit and, you know, other guys would use that as a time to bring mm -hmm. me the breast. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and I, I like to wax poetic about how we weren't like that. Like I'd said before, but we were, you know, the scene yeah. was like that. Yeah. As long as there's, uh, you know, hormones, keep, it's going to be, it's going to be like that until we learn how to respect one another. And right. I think we're getting there. I think the generation after you yes. is really getting there. <laughs> I have a lot of stock in people younger than me. I'm like, come on, don't fuck this up. <laughs> I, I think they've got it. I think they have this well in hand. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, you know, I it going back and thinking about some of these things, it reminds me of like what I kind of remember of my 20s. Um, which was this whole idea of me being like, I'm a female and I have control, therefore I will act like a male. So like yeah. to one up the men. But what I was ultimately doing is kind of playing into the stereotype of like a drunken woman being like, you're hot. Come here. Let's make out. Like, yeah. And do I regret it all? No, I don't think so. I don't remember most of it, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately like it, it, there, no matter how, you know, ahead of the times or the antithesis of the punk scene likes to think they are, we're the same as everybody else. If we were so fucking different, then why does everyone look exactly the same with their safety pins and their colored hair and their fucking jeans and their black band t-shirts? Like, yeah. everyone's just a human. We're not that different than anyone. No one at this point in time, in 2023... No one's edgy or different. There's too much internet for anyone to be like their own person anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone kind of looks the same. Everyone kind of acts the same. Even the edgy people look like other edgy people. Um, so I just, you know, I just think that there's, I, what I, I guess what I wish I knew when I was younger was that what I thought I was doing, which was so different, was really just more of the same shit that I was just kind of sinking further into the tone of the community at that point. Um, which, and there were not that many women. There still aren't. Um, yeah. So you're already kind of getting ogled. And, you know, if you are like you're dating one person, then you date someone else that knows that person, you're a slut. Yep. You sleep with everyone. And you're like, well, that's two years of relationship over here. And this is a year and a half. But okay, whatever. Yep. Um, so you already kind of get ostracized for that anyway. But I think some of the stuff that I was doing, I thought I was being edgy and like, you know, really showing them. But it yep. was just kind of more playing into the same BS. So I, I hope that the playing field on the genders no matter how many genders are we're including in that, because it's not just male and female. Not anymore. Um, nope. No, I, I want all of that to be leveled. I mean, people, yeah. the thing that I wish that people would be able to see, and it took me, I feel like I kind of felt like this before, but to vocalize it, it took me into my like mid thirties, but like everyone's just a person. Yeah. You know, when we're talking about pronouns and someone's like, I prefer they, them pronouns. Okay. I don't think of people as like a he or a she normally. It's just 
you're Peter. I yeah. think of all these things when I think of Peter. Um, and I feel like that for most people. And like, if there's an aspect of someone's personality that they, they want to change, change it. It's your personality. It's your life. Change it. You know, it's do what you're going to do. Yeah, it's malleable. And, and that's, I think, again, I, I want to reiterate that the generation after us really have it in hand when I say uh, there's more than two genders. And I, you say that and I say not anymore. Mm -hmm. That's actually not true. There always were. Right. But now it's finally it's being like, represented properly. It's, it's represented properly. And that modicum of fear, I think, has been stripped away. Should you still be afraid? Probably because there's a lot of psychopaths out there, but I think I think they're dying off. They're they're dinosaurs. Yeah. Not I mean, not all of them, unfortunately. There's still a lot of like straight white male Republican douchebags. <laughs> even in our scene. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. You know, but but they're they're uh stranglehold over yes. you know the, the country at large is dying away right. and that's why they're afraid and that's why they're becoming so emboldened to action because they realize their time in the sun has come and gone well i i also think it's interesting when you have the people that are so far on one side of the spectrum and this is not political this is just you know one versus the other here versus there and you have those people are so hell bent, heels dug in about whatever it is that they believe in. And then you have the opposition side. Um, we can use pronouns, for example. You know, there are people who are like, help, you know, say what they want their pronouns to be. You don't get them wrong. You know, do this. This is important. And here's all the reasons why. Makes sense to me. Then there's the opposite side two genders at birth, you were, therefore, I will call you a, I don't care what you think, you can't change, you know, trans doesn't exist, all of that. You have those two sides and they will consistently combat each other. Yeah. It's the same with the podcast. It's the same with assault. You know, there are people who are just hell bent on this band or, you know, fuck this band. And then there's all the people in the middle who don't have, who have not taken a stand or haven't taken a hard stand. Those are the people that you want to be able to have the intelligent, informational-based conversations with because they may just be too overloaded to think about these things. I mean, think of all the shit that's going on today. Oh, yeah. Today. I mean, people don't really have a lot of time if it's not an issue that is directly imperative to their life or the life of their loved ones in their close circle and community. They just are like, yeah, yeah, I'll, you know, some other time. And they don't get to it. So if you can get to those people and teach them why it's important to care about other people and why this subject matter, whatever it may be, is important to other people and how it helps them get through the day, then you're going to move all of those middle ground people to one side or the other, and the other side is going to be lessened almost completely besides those diehard dinosaurs like you were talking about. And it's those center people that I just think there's just, it's these conversations that we have about, you know, about assault, about, you know, gender binaries. Like it's, it's so much for people because it's so new for people to talk about, even though none of it is an actually a new subject. This has been going on for centuries, yeah. but we're not talking about it. And it's now time to talk about it. And you're scared, you know, even as like a cis white straight woman, there are things that I'm concerned if I talk about, I'm going to say the wrong thing because I'm trying to be good and I'm trying to say the right things and I don't mean any ill. Uh, 
but I might misspeak because I'm still learning. We're all still learning and things are changing very rapidly. But it's important to have those tough conversations. Even if you fuck it up, you don't, you know, the first time you learn to sprint, you're probably tripping over your feet, but you're still learning and you're going to keep trying, right? So like, that's, I think, the importance of having these conversations with people in just as much of a low tone as you possibly can, which I'm not great. I'm a little too sassy most of the time, but um, because some people just don't have you know, the, the time to sit and learn themselves, they need someone to kind of feed it to them um, just because their bandwidth is so short because of whatever they're dealing with, with whatever's going on in the world, but they need to hear it. Everyone needs to kind of know where we're moving as a country and why it's important to be moving in that direction and how it hurts if we don't do so. And I think that a lot of the fear that, you know, comes from us trying to, you know, be allies and speak a lot of that comes from not not because they're bullies in in these different microcosms of humanity that's not the case at all it's because we want to be better allies right and i i think and I, not i think i've found in my dealings with people across the diaspora of of you know sexual identity that your best bet is just to ask mm-hmm now I got yelled at online for that. Not that I was going to say the internet will come after you, and they have. Where you're talking openly on like a podcast, for example, and they have. <laughs> say the wrong thing. I, I, they have come for me because yeah. I, I posited just that. Why not just ask? Because you'll hurt someone's feelings, and then a bunch of a bunch of people who are, uh, you know, in those communities came to my rescue, who I know because they're like, no, we're the ones who told Peter he can ask, right? Uh, are you really hurting anyone by just simply saying, Hey, help me out. What does this mean? Because I'm a, I'm a cis white male, uh, from, from nowheresville, Pennsylvania. I'm it, it's surprising. I have all my teeth. Um, <laughs> can you just throw, throw a guy a lifeline and right. then I'll be able to get up to your level. And then we're all square. Uh, I think that's the best bet. And just to be open enough to, try to come to people and and say please educate me because i want to be of service right that's the most important thing you don't have to be studied on it you don't have to know all of the different gender identities as long as you care enough to learn and right. that's the that's the point i think i i'd like to make to the world uh don't engrave it on my headstone because i'm not going to have one but <laughs> you, you know <laughs> outside of all that the podcast, everything else, what's been kind of like, you know, moving you in the right direction in life now? Um, well, I'm in grad school, like I said, so that moves me for 15 straight weeks towards finals, which has ended. So thank God that moved me for four months going into a direction. Hopefully it's the right one. Yeah. Um, other than that, um, you know, music is is still part of my life i still want to get out there more than i am I, i'm slowly dipping a toe back in and covid really fucked me over like mentally <laughs> therapy um <laughs> but just it because it it scared me not just because of the health aspect but to see how many people didn't give a shit about other people in their community 
And it really took me back to be like, oh, you're still touring. You're in a DIY band that makes fucking $50 a night split five ways. And you've decided that it is now, what, April of 2020? And you want to have a basement show of 40 people. Like, fuck you. Yeah. So kind of the same way that you were saying about, you know, trying to be very cautious about the bands that you are supporting, um, you know, with possible assault or who are these people really. Um, I kept really close tabs on a lot of bands during COVID. Um, and I'm not quite at the point where I've forgiven some of them yet for some of the stuff they've done. <laughs> um, so going to shows has been um, a slow return, um, but I love them. And I, I went to one uh, recently where I was fully masked, I was like one out of two people who had a mask and, um, I ended up being fine. But like, I also got kicked in the head like three times during that show from stage divers and my mask kept like going on my cheek. And I was like, this is the worst time to wear this thing. Just leave me alone. Um, but yeah, they, they still have a lot of the, the energy. I just, I'm so worried about becoming like the grumpy old person who like doesn't leave the house or like stands at the back of the show. like. I know. I don't want to yeah. do it. I don't want to do it. I'm, I'm, I am approaching 50, though, so... Uh, yeah. It's kind we'll of my... Get you a chair. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, I'll, I'm okay being being grandpa hardcore kid like this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think because mostly I have my camera with me, so I'm shooting. So I have to be up at the front, at least for part of the time, so that helps me stay engaged. But I feel like such a deep guilt of not knowing as many bands right now as I should, because I got so detached. I think it's partially because of age. And then partially because of COVID, I just kind of detached from everything that like I'm learning about bands who have had like, like record breaking albums come out like two years ago. And I'm like, yo, did you guys hear about this band? And everyone's like, yeah, fucking everyone knows about them. And I'm like, oh, I just found out about them. And I love all their music. So I'm kind of playing catch up. It's very, very slow. But that's still a thing that is going to probably drive me. We'll see what 2024 looks like for that. But hopefully more shows. Hopefully less COVID. <laughs> well, here's the thing too. Uh, I, I feel like in the past couple of years, hardcore has become incredible again. Um, it's so popular. It, it is. It is popular now, which is crazy. But like bands like Zulu and Move, uh, trying to think of some of the other ones that have really like blown me away. Like all, you know, people of color and and mm -hmm. and and women in in like marquee roles in these bands, vocalists and it's what i had hoped and wished hardcore was going to become in 1992 yeah. uh we're finally getting there and it's not just like it's not like it was tokenism but like we had the bad brains and chaka from burn and and fishbone like just yeah. and like how many female fronted bands were there really in hardcore donuts Right. And like maybe one or two others, it, there wasn't like a, a massive thrust of it. Now it's, it's all out there on display and becoming incredibly popular. And what a great time. I wish I was a teenager now. I mean, the show that I went to where I got getting kicked in the face was a hardcore show. I was there. I saw Scowl. They were on my like bucket list. So I was like, it was they were the last one on the bands I found out about during the pandemic or close to pandemic time and hadn't seen yet list. Um, so they were the last one to cross off. And I was so excited to see them. And there were all these and I'm not a hardcore person, really. I'm familiar. I dabble. I'm not like in it. And there were like 
I swear there were like six bands before. There weren't, there were like three, maybe four, but I didn't know anything about them. I had no idea. And I was just sitting there and I, or standing rather. And I was watching all of this going on. And I was like, you've got people of all different shapes, sizes, colors, genders, everything on stage in the crowd. Everyone's having a good time. They're actually picking people up that fall down, which is what they say you're supposed to do in punk. But most of the time you just punch down all the time from yeah. what I've experienced. Um, and so it was just, it, and they were all young. I was so old compared to them, but I had a mask on so no one could tell. Um, <laughs> and I ended up standing next to these two really nice guys, one with a camera who probably took way better photos than I did based on the angles he got. And one other guy, his friend, who was just like his like hype man slash like super excited in between bands, like listing off all these other bands that like this and this and this. And at the end of the night, we started chatting uh, when the show was all done. It turned out that they're both from my hometown in Indiana, which is like an hour and a half away outside of Chicago. And they're like, we have a sick hardcore scene in South Bend now. And I was like, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> and they're like, we do. And I was like, am I going to start going to shows in my hometown after trying to leave for like, seven years until I finally left when I was 17 and like just to get away from South Bend, Indiana, like, but they were so sweet and nice. And they were like, really like all about what was going on in tiny little South Bend. So I'm like, maybe I'll end up going to shows there. But it was just, it was very communal in a way that punk hasn't felt for me in a while. So that now reminds me of, in a way, the late eighties, uh, in the hardcore scene when i first got there i was a little kid uh going to shows like hardcore was on donahue at this point uh and my mom was terrified that i was going to these shows <laughs> but I, it was right down the street from my house we had a very thriving hardcore scene in yeah. the scranton wilkes-barre area of pennsylvania there was a show every weekend so i was constantly going at age like 11 12 13 and people were picking me up when I would fall down. I was the token little kid. They're like, yeah, this guy. Right. But everybody was doing that. And then the nineties hit, it got really uh, ugly, really fast. And mm -hmm. I, I stuck around because I, I, I do like the, the rough music and, yeah. and all of that, but man, it, now is the best time for that genre of music for certain. I don't know about the punk end of things. I think it's starting to get a little, eh, but Hardcore has definitely seen its nexus in this time period. I feel like maybe I just bailed on punk because I just got tired of hearing all the stories. I don't know. And maybe like everything else is just so new and exciting to me because I'm not like ingrained as like 20 plus years involved in it. But like I know Ska is doing fucking phenomenal right now. I know yeah. like a million people in Ska bands and like they're all super successful for whatever successful means again in our community. Yeah. Um, it's fun and the fans are awesome and they're, you know, everything's great. Same thing with hardcore. And I feel like I'm hearing a lot less about punk bands and a lot more of like a lot more hardcore, a lot more kind of Ska influenced punk if we're still talking punk yeah. and just a lot of indie in general like things are kind of getting like tonally and musically more towards like kind of a 90s grunge for punk there's like very radio play alt rock kind of tone that's happening from what i've noticed at least out of a couple different labels uh that i follow pretty closely and i'm not mad about it but it doesn't give me the same like oh yeah let's do this shit yeah. that like punk usually does so those shows, like, like I'm, I'm not a big shoegazer or a math rocker, and I feel like this new slower punk is kind of of that ilk to me, where I'm like, I don't dislike it, 
but I'm not going to go see it live because you don't look up at anyone and you don't move off the stage. Like, yeah, yeah. But if we're talking about hardcore and I'm like, this is the energy that I crave. And I was like super <laughs> energized from that show for like a week where I was just like, this is the best. I love music. I forgot why I love it. Okay. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I do have a lot of aging uh members of of hardcore bands on the show it's just uh, by virtue of you know mm -hmm. association and whatnot yeah. and i think most of us agree that you know these younger bands this is the best time ever for hardcore a and b who's to say that some of these bands from back then that are now active or still active like uh as friends russ damien moyal's band he said who's to say i can't make the best hardcore album i ever made in my late 40s early 50s of course. i said you know what yeah you're probably right because there's no we, we don't have any examples of anyone doing anything outside of that you right. know and there's other people that are who aged with you who are of your age or close to it who are going to you know more closely understand lyrics that you'd come up with than an 18 year old who's you know jumping around on stage talking about 18 year old things like yeah. you know there's it's there's definitely a market for any of that and i think having the genre kind of up itself up its game just gives the more well-worn members of that community a little run for their money so now you're gonna work a little bit harder you're gonna get a little bit more like ammo in there when you're gonna write something which i think is great oh yeah but i, I think there's a there's a negative to this too uh that being a lot of these marquee hardcore bands that are have made a return or never went away uh a lot of them have they've gone so far from where they started mm. that that now they're like they're trumpish yeah like that's not wrong uh, there's something that happens to white men in the like music community of our sect not just hardcore but punk as well where like you get to a certain age and you have like a choice of like this side or that side and one of them is like staunch republican douche yeah and like a lot of people seem to take that route and i think you know they talk about like when you get older um you're going to become more conservative and i was like i feel like maybe they will i don't know i don't know like it just it depends on the person i think but there's a there's definitely a lot of people that will still wear the shirt will still you know shout along with the fist up in the air but then 100 percent will be in the voting booth going you know fucking abortion no. <laughs> women's rights is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> the older i get the more liberal i get yeah, me too. I just get angrier. But like I'm not angry like when I was a little kid like running around and headbutting people in the pit. Right. But having been raised by two very very liberal parents, I was yeah. always I I I don't have like a any any good feelings toward conservatism by any stretch. So right. that that's where I lock out, but I, this this trend of of the Fox Newsification of old hardcore guys has become so disconcerting that I again I, I'm not throwing all my records away, but I'm certainly not wearing the t-shirts anymore in public. Well, you you brought something up, and I I just started connecting some dots that I never had before, and you know it's it's these type of people, not just hardcore but punk as well. Usually these type of fans that are the ones that are like she's lying, you know she didn't get she's just searching for money. Um, and you're also anti-abortion or anti-women's rights. There, it's a very specific mentality of like, 
you know, you don't get to do what you want with your body, no matter what. Like I get to do what I want to you, no matter what. And it's interesting that I never kind of kind of put those together before, where you've got this Trumpification of hardcore and punk people, um, and those are also usually the people that are like, I think she's a bitch, and she's trying to scam them for cash. You're like, hmm. But they're vegans. But, but they're vegans. <laughs> Well, the animals are different. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Don't, don't everyone touch, comes up with their own logic. <laughs> don't don't touch that animal, but rape away. Yeah, yeah. Rape away, but don't but get an abortion. No but don't, yeah. She has no rights, but that cow. <laughs> and this is coming from someone who doesn't eat meat, by the way. So I'm Me not either. just like, shitting on a cow like that. <laughs> Be nice to the cows, everyone. <laughs> yeah, please don't eat anything animal based, for the love of God. But <laughs> you know. Well, way to way to ruin like probably with one specific human being from a, a pretty influential hardcore band. Way to ruin like almost forty five years of uh, you know history. Like you know, brought the the genre to a different level. Going on tours with these like massive metal bands uh, and putting such such optics on hardcore back in the eighties. Mm -hmm. And now you're writing books about how people who eat meat are pussies, and <laughs> uh, and and you're, you're like telling people not to get vaccinated because it's it's altering your DNA, and they're putting trackers in your bloodstream for uh, George Soros or whatever the fuck he's afraid of. I'm like, uh, whoa, whoa, man! It's it's these type of situations where, as an aspiring social worker, I'm like, what happened to you? <laughs> I, I want to help, but I also just want to figure it out for me. Like, let's go back here and figure out what the fuck went wrong here. Because there's something, like, I'm very much, like, the older I get, like we were talking about, um, I'm definitely not getting any more conservative. I think, if anything, the thing that I've noticed is pretty much like, a, you let me do what I'm going to do as long as I don't hurt anyone. You do whatever the hell you want to do as long as you don't hurt anyone. Don't talk to me about my shit. I'll leave you alone about your shit. Let's just keep moving forward as people. Like, leave me alone. I'm going to live my life. And I think that's kind of what I've been getting as I'm older. And I wish that everyone else was there too. But it seems like as we talked about, you've got one side, you got the middle ground, and then you've got the people who are like, here's all the reasons why you're wrong as a human. Okay, number one. <laughs> Um, okay, sure. <laughs> it's it's the people in the in the middle I'm actually the most terrified for because you know that swing vote is getting weirder and weirder. I, I think that you're you're in a swing state, so you must worry about those things more than most. Oh, oh my god, do I worry? <laughs> I I I thought this state was just like Democrat heaven. It's a beautiful state, like uh map wise <laughs> sure it's oh yeah yeah and it's and it's you know basically pittsburgh philadelphia with yes. with kentucky in between right right but the fact is is uh growing up i barely knew anyone who voted republican or thought right. ronald reagan was a good idea back in right. the 80s <laughs> like our all of our dads were in unions and and right. they, they all were basically socialists whether they knew it or not, because right. unions are very socialist thing. I'm a union member. I know it, mm -hmm. uh, but we all voted Democrat. We all posted the signs in our front yards and we thought we were doing the right thing. And what scares me now is 
a guy from my state who's our Democrat president is is funding a genocide uh, in in uh, <laughs> yeah. in the Gaza Strip, and I'm just like, oh God, where do I turn? It's it's so hard, and it's not like as we talked about. You know, you had mentioned you being you know wild and rambunctious in your youth and also on narcotics but that's not an excuse right. i feel like it's kind of the same for the generations right where you're like well he was you know union made he understands the working class he really gets what like america blue collar is all about however he is in his 80s and he has made some very bad choices because the times but also now there's not much you can do for this one. Like yeah. American politics is screwed up no matter what. And I feel like no matter which party line you're on, the president would be okay with what, or not okay, would be co-signing what's going on right now in regards to the genocide because yeah. there's politics involved. It goes beyond, like he's unfortunately doing a job and that job does not represent who he is as a person or his upbringing. And I feel like that's true for the majority. Certain people, you know, there's uh, some others that are doing uh, a job and also just giant douchebags anyway. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and maybe they'll go to jail soon, but I don't know. He's a slippery one. <laughs> he is, but it, it doesn't matter. Like even, even with the genocide, I'm still, I'm still finding myself like, I, I'm still not going to vote for fucking Trump. It's just, I know. that's not that's not happening it's so scary that it's coming down to a repeat of two men who can barely keep from shitting their pants when are we going to get over this idea that octogenarian millionaire caucasian wasps should be running this country what when like when is that going to go like what can we just dispense with that and say listen after the age of maybe like 60 you're done man yeah you don't need I to mean, be in there. They, I've seen it a million times online. If people in their 70s and older are deemed unfit to be in the working world because of their mental health or their physical health, then why are they running the country? It yeah. doesn't make any sense. And also, like, you have people who are leading major branches of our government who were not only alive but i believe on the wrong side of segregation mm -hmm. and we're on the wrong side of the civil rights movement i mean they're not only alive during that time they were actively fighting to suppress people of color yeah. from being able once again to exist as human beings <laughs> yeah that's all like basically, i don't understand yeah. why this is so hard for people you are shaped like a human no matter what that shape is you deserve rights that's yeah. how it's supposed to work they're for humans it says so in the title you yeah. get all of them basically being a human and no one should take those from you no matter what age or race or you know ability or disability or whatever it's you a person here are your rights and and no what what I find really fascinating, uh, and you'd never believe this in a million years, but it happened. Uh, Black Dahlia of the Dwarves was just on the show a couple weeks ago. Talk about someone who one would think uh, in his private life is not going to be very, uh, maybe people would think he's a pretty liberal guy, but I, I doubt it because the content of their music and things like that, you would think this guy is... It, it, 
he, he's not down with women's rights or anything like that. You'd be so wrong though, because everything we talked about, like it, he's like my, the band's like a Russ Meyer film, you know, it's like Valley of the Dolls. Uh, but when we got down to the like meat and potatoes of what he really believes, he was very much, very much a liberal. Uh, so much so that when I brought up about, you know, my misgivings with Biden, mm. he's like, well, listen, I, I'm not going to get into it with you, but I disagree with a couple things that you said, but regardless, yeah, we shouldn't be there. It's a bunch of bullshit, but I'm still going to vote for him because he's not Donald fucking Trump. And yeah. I was like, all right, you're all right, man. God damn it. <laughs> I can't find any fault in that. No. <laughs> I when, mean, it's unfortunate that that's our option. Yeah. But it, if it is, it is. And that's where I think a lot of us are going to end up. I, I find it more problematic that you're like, that someone would be like, I don't like either or my vote doesn't matter. Our votes matter, but they don't matter. Kind of, sort of. Kind of, sort of. I mean, it's, it's a process. And the thing that I, um, I've talked to some of my coworkers about who are not white, um, they have talked to me about how while so many of us feel like our votes don't matter, the, the popular vote just is, doesn't do what you think a popular vote should do. Yeah. There are so many people, you know, as, uh, as a woman, I, I should vote. Think of all the people who suffered and sacrificed to ensure that I could. And the same thing with black people. Like, you know, there's so many people of color, so many different non-white men. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, I mean, so many people had risked so many things of, in their lives to ensure that this one thing is something that we can partake in because at the time or in their minds, that was part of democracy. It might not be that part of democracy now, um, but it's still an action that kind of serves them, their memory in a way. And, you know, even if my options are garbage, I'm still going to vote for the less garbage of the two garbages. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, to kind of put a fine point on it, that's the thing I have the biggest misgiving with is the fact that I'm constantly put in a position where I'm not voting for the person that I really feel passionate about but the lesser of two evils. And the only person I've been really passionate about in the past, like 15, 20 years has been Bernie Sanders. That's the one. <laughs> and it, they w would not let us have him. No, but I also um, have read that he probably, from what I've seen, is not on the right side of the things with the genocide going on right now either. So um, again, politics at play, but overall, the less of all of the evils would have been Bernie Sanders. Yes. Ultimately, again, with my theory of leave me alone, I just feel like, you know, maybe we just put some sort of like very beige, like non-confrontational person just sit there for four years and let the country just kind of autopilot shift and give us all a break for a little while. <laughs> you know, no meetings with other heads of countries. No saying dumb shit and falling down the stairs on national television. Like, just let us coast and figure out our own shit internally. Maybe racism will work itself out if someone's not at the helm of this monstrosity. Like, I don't know. That's my hope. <laughs> I think even at that, we'd be asking for far too much change. Yeah. Be 
because they weren't in some skull and bone society in college right, in right. school together. But listen, to put, to kind of put like a, a point on the evening and, and to give you your 10 minutes here, <laughs> if you were to speak to a young version of yourself, what would you tell them about what life has been up until now? Well, first I would be like, all right, wake up. Come on. Come on. You got to have to work in like an hour. Anyway, here's some coffee. I know you're hungover. Just listen to me. Okay. Focus. All right. <laughs> That's how we start. <laughs> um, I think what I would see, it's a, it's a crapshoot because I never listened to anything when I was young anyway. So anything I say is going to be the antithesis of whatever I would do. So <laughs> maybe I'd have to like reverse psychology myself, but assuming that I actually listened to my own advice, um, I would say that, um, and this is a really tough one because people said this to me for years and it wasn't until it worked its way into my system my on my own terms that I really was able to kind of let some of this go but stop giving a shit about what anyone else thinks ever like they don't ride with you to the end you are the only person in your entire life who is there from beginning to end and you should always walk out of your house feeling confident with who that person is at that moment, at that day. And if someone gives you a side glance, be like, fuck off and just keep going. But it took me a very long time to realize that. And I still, you know, you still get dense in the armor when you you prepare for war every day going out into the public, and yeah. no matter what you do as your job or, you know, out just in general. And um, that it, it's still, you know, it, it's still, there's dents that that happen, but it's not the same that it used to be. It used to be like a crippling anxiety of thinking about like what other people thought of me all the time. And like, they probably weren't even thinking about me. If they were, maybe it was positive, maybe it wasn't, fuck them, doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so I think that's one of the things. Um, the other thing is uh, just to jump. Like there's a lot of times where I, I did a lot of things that were very, um, very 20 years, you know, just very, I'm in my twenties. I'm just going to fucking do it. And there are times where some things that were not as flippant, I was really, um, reserved about. And, you know, even like going to grad school, I mean, I want to do this for years and I was like, I don't know what I'll do. And what am I even going to do with this? And what if I don't have enough money? And what if I ruin my entire life? And the what ifs get me caught in kind of like an analysis paralysis where I don't move and I feel like I've missed out on things or I'm playing catch up on what could have been myself. Again, don't compare yourself to yourself because that's also very slippery. But, um, <laughs> but I think, you know, just, just jump. I mean, I so so many people are scared to make those kind of moves even if they're big or small or anything and you know i i have a genetic propensity for catastrophizing every situation <laughs> thanks mom <laughs> um, so um it, it usually turns out fine and if it doesn't it's a learning experience and there are people there you know every person has someone in their life that is a support system whether you realize it or you don't, you have fans. And um, leaning into that when you need it is also probably a thing, you know, that I, I didn't do. I was very, I can do this by myself no matter what, I don't need anyone. 
um, and starting to kind of understand who was in my close support circle and who was always going to be there um, really helped out. And all of these things are things I came to in like the last like five years or less. So like 20 year old me would be like, I don't know what you're even talking about. Like, I'm just trying to drink. I think at the time it was probably rum and coke, like <laughs> something disgusting. Um, and just like wear like thigh high boots and a ripped up band t-shirt and just hang out in LA. Like, I don't even know why you're talking to me, old wrinkly lady. <laughs> Maybe she would listen. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think any of our, uh, any of us would listen to the older version of ourselves. I, I personally would have made fun of the old, this version of myself. I think uh, so for me too. <laughs> no this i was young and much better looking i would have been like look at this bloated fucking bald guy you go and anywhere you fucking boomer or whatever I yeah was. right but, you know he, he, that kid's a dick anyway yeah <laughs> but but those are the people that became these people so you know we, yeah. we stand on their shoulders <laughs> i am i'm still standing on that little bastard shoulders but um <laughs> Listen, it's it's been a, a, a lot of fun uh, watching your journey from the last time we spoke. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and uh, I hope that you see exponentially more of the successful aspects of this and less of the combative for the future. Um, well, as because... long as I keep my Facebook off, I feel like that's probably going to happen. <laughs> Deactivate. <laughs> i'm right behind you i need to do the same but it's been a lot of fun uh let's do this again in a year and catch yeah, up yeah that would be great i would love to awesome good to see you again Kendra. yeah you too thank you so much thank you yeah bye-bye now bye, -bye. bye.